Heavenly Father, we thank you um, for this book of Judges that shows us so much of your awesome love, but also gives us some warnings we really need to hear. Please would you give us ears to listen and soft hearts to understand this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, I want you to imagine with me that you are back at school, even if that means thinking a long way back. Imagine you are back at school. Imagine that there is a new and slightly strange boy called Cain who's joined the school, and he wants you to be his friend. You're not sure what you think about him to start with, but he invites you around to his house, and okay, you say yes, you go, and you have a great time. His parents make your favorite pizza and cake, and it's brilliant. Next week, he invites you again, and again the next week, and the week after. And before long, you go for a sleepover, you stay for the weekend, and it's great because you get to stay up late, you get to play your favorite games, and you get more pizza. So when the next weekend, he invites you for yet another sleepover, you are begging your mum and dad to let you go. The invitations keep coming each weekend, and you start to think you would prefer to live in his house. His family seems more fun than yours. And going home is just getting a bit annoying, to be honest. But you feel torn, because you know that your parents love you. And you, you're not quite sure what you want. But then, Cain starts saying nasty things about your parents. Like saying that they don't love you, and his family loves you so much more. And because you don't want to stop playing at his house, because you have so much fun there, you don't tell him to go away and shut up, you listen to him. And you keep listening to him. And eventually, you believe him. You believe him. And so one day you go home, you pack your favorite clothes, your favorite teddy, your toothbrush in a suitcase, and you slip off to his house, and you don't come back anymore. Wouldn't that be really awful? Wouldn't that be so hurtful after all that your mum and your dad have done for you, giving birth to you in great pain, changing your nappies, feeding you, clothing you, playing with you, teaching you so many good things? And yet, that is just the kind of thing that Israel does to God in the book of Judges. God has rescued Israel from horrible slavery in Egypt. He's giving them their very own home, this wonderful promised land in Canaan, and he's promised to bless them in so many ways when they get there. And he's been like a father to them. He's been a far better father than any of our parents, even on their best and least grumpy days. But God knows what Israel is like. He knows that they are forgetful. He knows that they will easily forget about him. And he also knows, he also knows that the people who already live in the promised land, the people called the Canaanites, will easily pull Israel away from him to themselves. The Canaanites don't know God. They do all kinds of evil things God hates. And like that new boy at school, they will try to make the Israelites join them to be part of their family to worship their fake gods and join in all their sins. So God spoke to Israel through Moses, and he commanded Israel to drive out the Canaanites completely. 
They mustn't let any of them remain in the land. That's the only way Israel is going to be safe. And Joshua and his generation made a good start, as we heard. They started driving the people out of the land. But here at the beginning of Judges, we meet a new generation. They need to finish the job. They need to finish driving the Canaanites out. And it starts really well. We heard in the reading, they asked God who should go first. They worked together. And God was with them, just as he promised. Eight or nine times in chapter one, it says that Judah or Simeon or Joseph attacked or went up to fight, and God made them win. But soon, it starts to go wrong. God doesn't give up, but somehow the Israelites do. They stop driving out the Canaanites. The author of Judges doesn't tell us the reason. He just says nine times in chapter one, they did not drive out the people living in the plains or this town or that town. They did not drive them out. Israel didn't finish the job. They disobeyed God and they let the Canaanites live alongside them and among them. And that was really serious, because just like that new boy Cain at school, the Canaanites would pull Israel away from their loving father God. And Israel just didn't see the danger. So what was the consequence for their disobedience? Well, at the start of chapter 2, God kind of gives Israel what they want. He tells them that he will no longer drive out the Canaanites. That's it. They're going to stay in the land with you. Israel will have to share the promised land with the Canaanites. But that's bad news. The Canaanites will make it really hard for Israel to keep loving God. And if Israel turns their back on God, they'll miss out on all the amazing blessings he's promised. In fact, if they turn their back on God again and again... One day they'll, they'll lose the whole land. They won't have a home anymore. And sadly, that is exactly what happens. Israel runs away from God their father. And they become just like the Canaanites, worshipping their fake gods. And there's a really important message for us in this. When we follow Jesus... God makes us part of his family too. We get to call him father, and he cares for us as his children. Isn't that amazing? But like Israel, we can easily forget God. Our hearts so easily love other things or other people more than God. And there are lots of things and lots of people in this world that want to pull us away from God. Maybe it's that really cool or popular person at school who is always bad-mouthing Jesus, saying how stupid Jesus is, saying you shouldn't follow Jesus, you should be like me. And you keep listening to him because you want to be popular and cool too, so you keep hanging out with him. Or maybe it's that non-Christian boyfriend or girlfriend who doesn't want to share you with Jesus. They just want to have you and your body too, all to themselves and now. They don't want to wait. And they want you to do things their way, not Jesus' way. It could be video games or films or blogs 
or all manner of other things that tell us things, that encourage us to believe things, that celebrate things, Jesus says are hurtful and untrue. There are many things and many people in this world that want to pull us away from God as our loving Father and Jesus as our loving Saviour. And sadly, we are easily pulled away because our hearts forget what God is like. So God warns us because he doesn't want us to miss out on his forever love. Just like Israel with the Canaanites, God tells us not to make room in our lives for people or things which will encourage us and pressure us to sin. Now, why does he do that? Well, because sin isn't shy. Sin will not stay quietly in one corner of our lives and mind its own business and let us have the rest of our lives for God. Sin is like an angry rhinoceros. If you let an angry rhinoceros into your house, is it going to stay quietly in the living room so you can go and have a look at it now and then show your friends how cool it is? Is it going to stay there? No. It's going to charge and smash down the doors and charge all over the house until nowhere is safe. And that is what sin is like. It doesn't want to leave any room for God in your heart or my heart. So God says, don't make room for people and things that will encourage you to sin. In fact, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, says this. God tells us, throw off everything that holds us back from following Jesus. Don't make room for these things in your lives. Throw them off and run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Now that sounds like hard work, doesn't it? And driving sin out of our lives is tiring. But you know what? Just as God was with Israel, helping them drive out the Canaanites, and God never failed, so God is with us to help us too. And in fact, Jesus has already begun before us to show us the way, to show us how it's done. He threw off everything that held him back from following God. He threw off every sin that would entangle him like a spider's web. And he ran with perseverance all the way to the cross. He dealt with our sin there once and for all. So you know what? We have been set free from sin. We've been set free, so we can run too. And he has given us his spirit so we can run fast and be strong. When we're really struggling to throw sin off, Jesus understands. Because he was tempted too, just like we are. But he didn't give in. And so he knows just how to help us when we ask him. So we don't need to be pulled away from God our Father. We don't need to be like Israel with the Canaanites. Jesus makes us strong. So will you ask him for help every day to drive out or run away from those things in your life that would encourage you to sin? Jesus actually gives us the words to do that in the Lord's Prayer. When he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, that is about 
staying safe from the things that would take us away from God. So to close this first section, why don't we say the Lord's Prayer together? It's up on the screen. We're going to pray and then we're going to sing. Let's say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. We're going to stand and sing Dr. Jesus, because Jesus is the only one who can help us with the sin problem in our heart. Okay, so we have already seen how Israel didn't drive out the Canaanites. And now we've just heard how the Canaanites pulled them away from God. And let's be honest, they were pretty happy to to go. A bit like that new boy at school who we imagined earlier, sort of pulling us away from our parents. After Joshua and his generation had died, their children forgot about God. They'd heard about him, obviously. They, you know, their parents must have said something about him. But these children did not love God. They didn't want to follow him. Instead, they copied the Canaanites and worshipped their fake gods called Baal and Asherah. How sad was that? Did Baal rescue Israel from Egypt? No? No. Did Baal feed Israel with miraculous bread, manna, for 40 years in the desert? No. Did Baal give Israel a home in the land of Canaan? No, that's right. Israel's God gave them all these things, so they should have loved him and thanked him. But they turned their back on him instead. So God disciplined them. God disciplined them because he loved them. So he wanted Israel to see that Baal couldn't rescue them or feed them. He wanted them to see that Baal wasn't real. Baal was made up, so he couldn't help them. And so God disciplined them for their good, to teach them the truth. He handed Israel over to raiders. Those who came and stole their cows and their sheep and the crops from their fields. He handed Israel over to enemies from other nations who invaded them and ruled over them harshly. So they groaned and were distressed. This was the only way to show Israel that Baal couldn't save them. They could keep praying to Baal all they liked, but Baal could not make the enemies go away. Baal could not bring back their cows and sheep and food. Do you think it worked? Well... Sort of. Sort of. When God disciplined Israel, they were in distress. Life was hard and painful because of their food being gone and being oppressed. It was like being slaves in Egypt all over again. And as we read through the rest of Judges, we we hear again and again that they cried out to God for help. They cried out for rescue. And God did rescue them. 
He sent them judges who were special leaders who led Israel into battle against their enemies and who God gave victory to. So the judges were God's means to rescue Israel. But do you think Israel stopped worshipping Baal? No, that's right, they didn't. They turned their backs on God again and again. In fact, verse 19 tells us that when each judge died, the next generation of Israelites became even more corrupt than their parents. They worshipped the Baals even more and did even more evil. They didn't learn. And most of the time when God disciplined them, I'm not sure they were really sorry. Of course, they didn't like being oppressed by their enemies. No one likes being oppressed and suffering. But there's only one place in Judges where we are told that the people acted like they were truly sorry and got rid of the Baals and the Asherahs and all their fake gods and turned back to their own true God. That's in Judges chapter 10. We'll get to that in a few weeks. It seems like most of the time they weren't really sorry. They just wanted the pain to end so that they could go back to worshipping the Baals and doing their own thing. So God had to discipline them over and over again. He had to send more raiders, more enemies. And Israel started groaning and crying out all over again. Do you think that God should have rescued them again? Would you have done? I wouldn't. (laughs) I think I would have just given up on them. This is the amazing thing, though. God did rescue them again and again and again. He kept sending more judges to save Israel from their enemies. And not because they were sorry, but just because God had pity on them in their suffering, because he loved them. He is a kind God who really cares about his people. He kept giving each new generation of Israelites a second chance to see if they would follow Joshua and his generation and walk in their ways. And even though each generation didn't and they turned their back on God, he still sent more judges to rescue them. How amazing is that? Do you know what? God didn't just show his love to Israel in that way. God has shown that kind of love, that kind of kindness to people all over the world. Later in the Bible, in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says, God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, all of us are like Israel and the Canaanites by nature. We don't truly love God by nature. We don't want to worship him. We don't want to obey him by nature. Even if you were born into a Christian family, even if you've known about God, as long as you can remember, I bet you can also remember a lot of days where you did not want to obey God. But even though we are sinners just like Israel and the Canaanites, even though we deserve God's anger like that, he sent Jesus to die for us and rescue us from our sin before anyone was truly sorry. 
even when we didn't love God, he loved us. And he sent Jesus as the ultimate judge, if you like. You know, the, the, the judges in the book of Judges point to Jesus in a way because he is the greatest rescuer from sin. That is what he did on the cross. Do you know anyone else as kind as God? Do you know anyone else as patient with people as God is? We really have an amazing God. Why would we ever want to turn our backs on a God like that? He is worthy of our worship. And he is worthy of our love. So why don't we pray and thank him now for that love and that kindness. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you showed such great patience and kindness with Israel when they kept going after the Canaanites and worshipping their gods again and again and again. Thank you that you sent rescuers, judges, to save them, even when they weren't really sorry, even when their hearts had not changed. And thank you that you sent the greatest judge of all to rescue us in Jesus, even before we were sorry. Please would you help our hearts to understand just how big your love is, that we would keep running after you and not running after other things. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.